All right, so tonight's question is the problem or the objection of sexuality. Why is or what is the problem of sexuality? Why would that be an objection to someone coming to faith in Jesus Christ or believing Christianity? The modern day definition of sexuality. What do you think? People think it's narrow-minded. Biblical sexuality, as defined as man and woman, man and woman yeah. is narrow-minded. Okay. Other thoughts. Good. Definitely true. Why is that a problem for people? Because today the, the culture says that you can be anything you want to be, or yes. anything you feel like you want to be. Yes. Today the culture says you can be whatever you want to be. Doesn't necessarily matter what. Bible says, and this is how I feel. Yeah, definitely. Um, Science. So, a couple things. Yeah, all those things and more. Sometimes you might hear Christians are homophobic. Right? Ever hear that? That's probably the, the second thing that people say Christians are after hypocrites. It's homophobic. Maybe sometimes that's combined. Homophobic the hypocrites. They put down women as well. Yes. Put down women. Yep. Uh, the view of sex of, of gender roles. Absolutely. Right. Gender roles. Yep. That, that makes no sense because they don't know what a woman is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't define it, right? <laughs> Nobody here is a biologist. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, well there's two biologists. Yeah. 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 We'll have to ask them. Define it. <laughs> <laughs> you might hear, I can't believe in a religion that excludes people because of their sexual orientation. That's just hateful and bigoted. You Christians should let people live their lives the way they want to live their lives. Right? What business is it of yours to go sticking your nose in their morality? I could never believe in a religion like that. Right? So a problem statement could be phrased as something like Christianity claims that homosexuality is sinful and that this is cruel and bigoted and hateful. And therefore, I will not or I cannot believe in Christianity. Anybody ever run across anybody where they've had that conversation where it's like, I just can't believe, I can't believe that God would say that that would be the case. Yeah, it's common. It's very, very common. It's getting more common in today's day and age. And even so, from people who claim to be Christians. Even from people who claim to be Christians. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So how would the various worldviews respond? First, we'll look at atheism, right? With nothing at the center, right? Remember how worldview colors perspective. And the quote from Aristotle, I think it is, we talked about, does a fish know it's wet? Right? And so that's uh, regardless of whoever said that, right? There's perhaps no better way to illustrate the powerful effect of somebody's world. You don't know. It's, it's, it's how you filter and translate the world around you. Everybody has a worldview, whether they know it or not. Ronald. That was Clive Staples Lewis. It was? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Oh. I'm pretty sure Aristotle's older than Clive Staples Lewis. Let's <laughs> go with that. So if there's nothing in the center, then therefore no one should tell someone else how to live. And if you back up and look at their worldview, a couple reasons why. Uh, atheistic worldview with nothing at the center would say there's, it's, just, it's just here and now. That's all there is. Here and now is all there is. All we have is the material. 
All we have is what's in front of us. That's it. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. There's no nothing that holds it together. And so, you know, if, if all we have is the here and now, then who cares? You know, if they're attracted to the same sex, it doesn't matter. Leave them alone. Right? You might also hear um, morality itself is cultural. It's subjective and or fluid. Like, morality is just changing. Morality always changes with the culture. It always changes with the time. So how dare you pinpoint one spot in morality and say, this is wrong and something else is right. There are no true moral basis in an atheistic worldview. There can't be. And maybe a third way is that there is no divine judge. So it doesn't matter anyway. There's no, there's no sky fairy. I'm not going to stand before him. Even if I did make him mad, he's not going to judge me for being attracted to another dude, right? There's no gods, there's no masters, there's no ultimate standard, there's no judge. And so stop trying to act like there's one. Just let people do what they want to do. Any other thoughts from an atheistic worldview? Well, that's how they think about everything. Yeah. Everything, not just sexuality. If you're going to be consistent with that, right? <clears throat> Well, it also doesn't make sense because if no one, you're saying, no one should tell me how to live, right? So then you can't tell me that I'm not allowed to tell you something because right. it makes me happy. Yeah. See, now we have a problem. It's a giant inconsistent circle. Yeah, Ronald. Atheists have an issue with this particular argument because if atheism is true and there is no God, then that behavior in the naturalist sense serves no evolutionary purpose. Yeah. If there is a God, he's clearly said this behavior is simple. Right. Right. Which is it? Yeah. If it's survival of society, right, then that's not going to work. <laughs> no offspring is going to come from that. Yeah. Yeah. No one lives like an atheist. We've got to remember that. If someone actually claims that they're an atheist, it's, it's a completely inconsistent worldview. I have a project manager friend that I used to work with who's a raging atheist. And we get into spats every now and then. And he posted on Facebook, uh, there are no gods, there are no masters. It's just like, yeah, but nobody actually lives like that. So fine, there's no god, but you definitely have a master. You definitely have somebody you submit to, your boss, the police, somebody. Right? So it's just woefully inconsistent. What about selfism before I advance the slide? You got some blanks. Right, maybe yeah, right? Self is at the center, right? So therefore, my sexuality is up to me. I determine what is right and or wrong. What's right for me is right. That's great. You're heterosexual. Congratulations. That's not me. I determine. Like, I'm kidding, by the way. It's not, I am heterosexual. Anybody very nervous here? Right? <laughs> Metaphorically. Right? You can't tell someone else what they are because each truth is relative to their own. And another one that'll come into a, a more full meaning in a moment. The ultimate goal in life is human flourishing through expressive individualism. Right? When we talk about a selfism, a self-worldview uh, with man in the center, then the ultimate goal of their lives is the bettering of man, the bettering of themselves. 
and it is through something called expressive individualism. That's the bullseye of this issue. Right? Expressive individualism was coined a while ago, but it says this. Uh, it holds that each person has a unique core of feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if individuality is to be realized. So I have feelings, I have intuition, this is who I am, I need to express that, and you need to accept that, right? Whatever that is, and you can't tell me that that's right or wrong. I need to express my individualism in that. And you can see in society, right? We're a very individualistic society. In the airport, everybody's got the pods in, or you travel on the train, and nobody talks to each other, everybody does their thing. You go home from work, you go right into your car, you go into your garage, and the door opens automatically, closes automatically, and nobody ever talks to their neighbors, and, you know, we become very individualistic, right? And so then the ultimate human flourishing is just being able to express whatever I think my individualism is. Well, maybe it's just me, but anytime I have expressed individualism I've never flourished. I just, <laughs> in my in my history, I just yeah. usually when I try to express individualism it, it, I don't flourish very well. I usually need the help of others. It's a very that's very true, right? It's achieved by acting on one's inward feelings. Yep. Everybody has feelings that you probably shouldn't act on. For example, exactly. cuts you off in traffic. Mm -hmm. Now I'm a murderer. But people do it, right? That's why Instagram has lots of reels for road rage incidents, right? You just watch them all day long, you see. And I think, I bet, I can't, I can't collaborate this, but I bet that's increasing. That people are more angry on the road, and I think it's happening more. Ron? I want to take this opportunity to repent and apologize to anyone I followed after church on Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> Again? Okay. You're forgiven, Ron. Yeah, so it is achieved by acting on one's inward feelings. And if I'm not going to do that, then I'm not being true to myself. That's the main problem, right? And so expressive individualism is the default setting for understanding ourselves in the 21st century. Not us as Christians, but non-Christians in a, in a selfism worldview. Right? I got to express myself. You've got to accept that. And if I don't do that, I'm not being true to myself. And that's the worst possible thing, right? Because you want me to be happy, right? You want me to flourish, right? Then this is how I have to do that. Right? And so how does this expressive individualism manifest itself today in our culture? Wait, I skipped the most important bullet there. That expressive individualism then is our authentic identity. Big word. Should be circles and highlights around that identity. That's what this boils down to. My sexuality is not just an activity. It's my identity. It's who I am. And if you don't recognize that, then you don't recognize my identity. And then we got a big problem. Right? And so when we talk about gender and sexuality, how this manifests itself, it is somebody's identity. And this is how we got to the point where Suddenly, someone who is one sex, born one sex, then says, no, I'm not. 
uh, should be another sex, right? You would think if anything would be as clear and concrete and objective truth as how you were made, right? To be able to look someone in the eyes and have all of society say, okay, yeah, maybe you aren't what you <laughs> look like, right? That's the ultimate in, no, I determine this. This is, this is my individual reality, and I'm expressing that. Right? And if you disagree with my sexuality, you're not just disagreeing with me. You're refusing to acknowledge my existence as a person. That's a huge issue. What do we think about that? It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me very powerful. Yeah. I can make whole yeah. bunches of people just disappear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the problem, right? We give ourselves so much power that we don't have to. It's not ours to yeah. give, right? Yeah. And we see ourselves as so much more powerful. But then you see these children who are so confused, yeah. and, and then they just become confused adults. Yeah. Um, and in Minasink Valley, where my son was, thank God we're all done there, you know, there was a little girl who was a furry. <laughs> oh, yes, I've heard about furries. Oh, yeah. So she really <laughs> thought, thought she was a cat. Did she at least bring a litter box to school? They had to do it one in yes. the bathroom. Oh, it gets worse. Wow. They had to treat her as wow. a cat. This is where it goes. This is where yeah. Francis Schaefer says, take the roof off. This is where we're going to go that everything is. So, and the teachers have to respect her. Who identifies her? I'm making this up. No, that's really good. Part of the bullet points I determine what's right and wrong, and what's wrong is human flourishing. And each person means, when they say that, they don't mean humanity, they mean me. Individual. is me flourishing. Yep. So, there comes a problem. If what if the thing that makes me happy and I determine to be right is killing people? Yes. Right. Yeah. NSA, if you're listening, this is a hypothetical. <laughs> I don't want to be arrested. They are streaming but, on two platforms right yeah, now, oh, so they oh, are yeah. going to your house. Fantastic. <laughs> no, no, definitely oh yeah, we bad. might have gotten pulled down already. It's <laughs> definitely going to get us bad. But, but there are people who are like that who are like, yes, what makes me happy is. Killing people. Like, yeah. there are people, there are serial killers who do that. They're mentally deranged. Yep. We go and say, you know what? That's perfectly acceptable yep. that you like to... Hold that thought. We are gonna, we're going to talk about that very, very thing. Right? But we disagree with people all the time, and that doesn't necessarily mean that we are disrespecting them or that we're refusing to acknowledge their existence. It's like, hold the phone here, people. Like, this is, this is it what... It doesn't seem like that, though. Like, you oh, know, no, it doesn't. That's so sad. It doesn't. The minute you... And we've got to push back on that. Yeah. Right? It's a small piece of land to stand on, but we've got to stand on that land yeah. because it's logical. And that's that's not the way life works. We always disagree with people. That doesn't mean we're, we're, we're not saying they exist. Right? Absolute objective truth gets rejected, and it gets rejected as hate speech. Right? Mike, you're bald and dorky. Right? Is It might be hurtful, but it's true. Like, sorry, like I just can't. Not bald at all. What are you doing? <laughs> Me, not him. Right? Right, but that's where we get to, if you have a truth that becomes hurtful to you, then you push back against that truth and you say, no, 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 that, that can't be true. It's like, well, sometimes truth is true and it hurts. 
you know, and don't reject it. it. It might be hurtful, but it's not unsafe. It's not violent. It's not doing anyone harm. Shouldn't be triggering anyone, right? All the other buzzwords, right? I think another thing that has hurt us too, and when we talk about sexuality, especially as being up to ourselves, and how this manifests itself in society is, is the mainstream, mainstreamization, if you will, of porn. I mean, it's no longer something that people do in a dark alley or with a magazine that they find in a, a dirty bookstore on the wrong side of town, right? It's in everybody's, you know, devices, you know, it's, it's everywhere. And so that has blown the roof off, you know, what's a, a sexually acceptable or not sexually acceptable. Right? Any other thoughts on how, especially the sexuality portion of the program, we see that? Yeah, for self. Well, as, as believers, we first of all have to be honest with the reality that there are women that are masculine mm -hmm. and there are men that are feminine. Mm -hmm. And I'll just pose this as a question. How do we explain that as believers? Yeah. Are you talking just out of no... Overtly, either or. How do we explain that as believers? I don't know. Um, thoughts? We're sinful. We're, we're all sinful, and we all have struggles. But, that's but you're not talking. Mean, you're not talking sexually, Bob. You're well, just talking. In general. But that doesn't mean we have to act on them, or we should act on them. Right. But I think you're just saying as as like mannerisms and things, or like. Personality-wise, you're not talking well, sin-wise, sin right? No. We all recognize that there are men that are feminine in, in their mannerisms, their yep. appearance. Yep. Uh, and it's also true of, of women being masculine. Yeah. How do we explain that reality in society as believers? Yeah. Well, in the area of men, because I'm not qualified to talk about women, because I'm not one. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I realize that that makes me toxically masculine. Yeah. Are we pulled off off YouTube and Facebook? Well, yeah. Where did we go? But we could say maybe that someone's not acting out the correct role of what God intended a man to be if he's not act, if he's not. Yeah, Acting it's a little bit of a slippery slope, right? Could, because what but, what is a man's, you know? But there are guidelines that God gives. Yeah. Says, so there, I don't know how applicable that is. Yeah. Certainly, it's worth consideration. Or if you come across something that you might feel that way, is it some place that you could engage and try to find out more hey. or have a conversation with them about, you know, like if you say that someone has an effeminate. Yeah, is that a place that are we talking Christians here in your hypothetical example, or are we talking just people? No, just society. Just society. Not yeah. I mean, some of that could just be true of, 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 of Christians. Yeah, believers. I mean, some of that yeah. is, is going to be background, upbringing, personality. You know, yeah. you see it. You know, I, I mean, I've met dudes that I could swear were gay, but thought they weren't. You know, so it's it, I see what you're getting at, bro. Well, I was just thinking that when I look at the way that God created the rest of nature, and you look at the different kinds of plants and different kinds of animals, that there are qualities that he creates in nature that he disperses through portions. 
And the fact that there can be people that have qualities that appear to be masculine or feminine, diversely related to their proportion, doesn't mean that their responsibilities in the order that God created man and woman need to necessarily change. Yeah. You can have a property and a quality of strength as a woman and and still have a God designed for a purpose that, that God would know of why you would need that quality in life. Yeah. To be able to, and, and it may come across as being a exchange of gender quality, but at the same time, when you look at the nature that God created, there is so much portion and, and variation and, and, and that he right. puts out in it. Right. And it is in its order. And if you look at how God gave the order of manhood and the order of womanhood and how that that union forms, I think it's possible that there's people that God's created that, that do. And even, I think it's in Matthew, he says, um, the verse coming out, I probably have it here, the one where he, where he was asked about the eunuchs and he says, some of them are born. Yeah, some of them are born with unique portions mm -hmm. of characters. Some of them, it's nature or, or their environment. Some of them have been exposed to things that just created associations that they're, they're familiar with that they shouldn't be familiar with. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. But that being said and done, I, I think that it is possible that God makes portions in people that can look. That doesn't mean the order. But there's got, yeah. And I like what you were saying. I mean, you're saying diversity. Right, but it's a slippery slope because we just don't want to say, you know, a man looks like this and a woman looks like that, right? Yeah. There's got to be, there's got to be different. Well, that different for different cultures. That's well. exactly sure. what I was you know, going. Very so true. That, yeah, think outside of America, right? Yeah. Well, there, yeah. Is, there is such a thing as the exception that proves the rule. Like if I say human beings have two legs, and you find someone who's born with one leg, that does that that doesn't disprove the fact that human beings are born. Right. So, and yeah, in, so in, it's, in biblical cultures, you see that the culture sometimes defined the qualities of feminine and the qualities of masculine. Right. And and the culture in the Bible, God tends to have a little bit of grace in how these cultures are defining that. What He does not change is His order. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And His how He relates them as a couple, as a pair, as a divine yeah. institution, the way that it, that it operates. Is, yeah. And it gets to the essence of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, which is a separate topic, but. So, good stuff. All right. Go ahead. Uh, and the other thing, just a thought, is that we're all broken, and sin has broken sexuality, mm -hmm. in that, you know, people have chosen lifestyles sometimes because of what happened to them as kids, sure. and the traumas that they've been through as children, and now they're in this the situation, right? right, and exposures. So it's very easy to call something sin and yet have compassion for the person yep. and treat the person with Definitely. respect Definitely, which we're going to get to. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Let's look at what a, a theistic worldview would look at this, right? This is God at the center, right? This is the biblical worldview. And the biblical worldview clearly states that heterosexuality is created by God and therefore homosexuality is a sin. <coughs> So the biblical worldview clearly states that it is heterosexuality. That is part of the creation. Homosexuality would be called a sin. Furthermore, then, when we get back to our, our identity, our identity is not our sexuality. Our identity is, is, is authentic identity. We're human beings made in God's image, not merely our sexuality. Right? And that's where, in other words, the world's got that crisscrossed. 
It's like they, 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 and they do it with other things too, but sexuality really goes to the top of this is who I am. But a biblical worldview says, no, this is not who you are. You are a human being made in God's image. Right? We have lots to say about that in our doctrinal statement online, which is pretty long, um, but you should definitely look at that. If you're members, you have said that you agree with it, but we're believing that God created humanity male and female, um, that marriage only has one meaning, the uniting of one biological male and one biological woman, uh, and sexual intimacy is only between the man and the wife. We believe that with the fall, this is a really good statement, um, kind of gets to some of the things we were talking about. Um, we believe that since the fall of mankind, we all struggle with sin and its effects. We believe that any form of sexual immorality, whether desire or action, is sinful and offensive to God. It includes, and it goes on, but we believe that God offers redemption and restoration to all who confess and forsake their sin, seeking his mercy and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Furthermore, every person must be afforded compassion, love, kindness, respect, and dignity. We've got to keep those things in balance, too. So we've got to say, no, this is what the Bible says about homosexuality, but we're going to respond with dignity and kindness. All right. So, also what the Bible says. Lots of places, right? Yep. <clears throat> so definitely take a look at our doctrinal statement there. It's right there. Um, all right, so then the theistic worldview would say that biblical sexuality is rooted in creation and exclusively consummated in marriage. So biblical sexuality is rooted in creation and exclusively consummated in marriage. And we see that all the way back in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. <clears throat> so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on the earth. And so the creation mandate that God gave Adam and Eve and to us as all human beings is impossible to accomplish without sex between a man and a woman. Right? It's tied into creation, and it's tied into who we are in God's image, and it's tied into what God calls us to do. Right? So it's rooted in creation, and it's expressly and exclusively consummated in marriage. Genesis 2.24 famously says, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Right? The idea of spiritually, you are one flesh before God. Uh, you are husband and wife, but then physically, the act of the sexual union represents that one flesh. Okay? So biblical sexuality, the biblical worldview, is rooted in creation and exclusively consummated in marriage. A good quote here, um, I think by Carl Truman. A different marital arrangement requires an entirely different creation account. One with two men or two women, or at least in the absence of any hints of gender complementarity and procreation. Right? So if we're going to go messing with sexuality, we got to change creation. And that, that's, that's not going to happen, right? So it's not, it's not a preference. It's not, it's not something. It is, is rooted in God's fabric of how he created us and how he created the world and what he called us to do, right? So let's look at some common objections. 
and how to respond. So first of all, some preliminary thoughts. Remember, always ask questions. How did you come to this conclusion? Right? Be asking questions, clarifying their worldview, trying to figure out. Right? Most of the time, when you talk to somebody about something like this, you're going to find out that it's a combination of bad experience and bad theology. Right? Sue was talking about experience, right? There's sexual trauma sometimes that's involved, right? Or there's abuse that's sometimes involved. Uh, I think of all the kids that are being brought up in homosexual households right now. I'm just thinking that's normative, right? Um, but a lot of times it's bad theology, or maybe it's bad things that happened at church, bad experiences at church. Or maybe they are going to a progressive Christian church where the pastor is telling them that homosexuality is not a sin. It's okay. So find out, untangle, what, where did you, how did you come to this conclusion? Right? But also know your audience. Some, this is not mine, so I, I think I stole it from Kevin DeYoung. Some will be convinced, and therefore they may be contentious. Most will be confused, and we have to realize the times. And I think of the sons of Issachar in 1 Chronicles 12. Uh, men of Issachar who had an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. It's a good quote, too, from Carl Truman. The era when Christians could disagree with the broader convictions of the secular world and yet still find themselves respected as decent members of society at large is coming to an end, if it's not already ended. Right? So let's know the times. Let's not think... You know, let's go into this knowing we're going to get resistance, right? They're going to be confused. And if you state your case, you know, you're probably not going to be well regarded. And you're not well regarded already, right, because of your, your Christian views. So know that. And so therefore, we must be cautious. We've got to step carefully because we know. We know we're going to get pushback. And we also have to be sensitive to people, right, because there could be hurt. Real hurt does exist. And so we can't just go charging in both barrels, telling them what terrible people they are and sinners and everything when we don't know the background. Ask questions. Right? So some common objections. Now that we set that foundation. I put blanks in. Ha ha ha. First common objection is somebody says the Bible never actually condemns homosexuality. Bible. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best possible response, the best possible objection, because what have they just given you a green light to do? <laughs> Open up the Bible. <laughs> so, by the way, this requires you to realize the Bible wasn't originally written in English. <laughs> <laughs> so what key text would you go to? Because I didn't give you any. Finally got you guys. It took me nine weeks to do this, but I finally got it. Romans 1. Very good. Let's go there if you got your Bibles. We'll go to a bunch of these. Romans 1, starting at verse maybe 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Key statement. They suppress the truth by their sin. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they're without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, that's why I read that, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creator, the creature, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Another level. For this reason, then, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Hold on to that. And men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. What is all that saying to us? Somebody kind of step through what Paul's trying to communicate with us. Where did he start? Idolatry. Yep. Mm -hmm. Idolatry, right? So we worshiped anything other than God, which is idolatry. And therefore, that's why God's wrath exists, right? The original lie in the garden still continues, right? You will be like God. You don't need him. You can be your own God. Right? You don't need to worship him, right? And so therefore, God's wrath exists. And therefore, as a logical conclusion of God's wrath existing, he's giving them up to the lust of their hearts. He's giving them up to sin. And where does he say the first place that that will manifest itself is? Their sexuality. Which is crazy to think about, right? I used to read this passage and be like, why is all of a sudden Paul talking about homosexuality? He was talking about the wrath of God and everything else. Now he makes a right turn into, because he says that's the way you're going to see it. The most natural thing that you should actually see then gets twisted and perverted. It's an effect of, of idolatry. And we see it. So, yeah, the Bible says clearly, sorry, that that is unnatural and sinful. Where else would you go to say, to contradict someone who would say, the Bible never condemns homosexuality? Go ahead. 1 Corinthians 6.9. 1 Corinthians 6.9. You want to read that for us in verse 10? Do you, not, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. Paul's pretty specific here, right? And so in case somebody wants to say, like, sexual immorality, you know, he's just talking about, you know, weird perverted stuff. That's why he actually separates out homosexuality in this list. When somebody says the Bible doesn't, the New Testament especially doesn't mention homosexuality, take them right here. And, to tell you a little bit of the nitty-gritty behind the scenes, Paul actually invents a word that is not, it's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. It's somewhere else in surviving Greek literature. It's arsenikoitoi, which, which, without being too completely graphic, it means a man who goes into another man. So Paul's like, just in case you don't, I want you to understand exactly what I'm talking about here. So when somebody says, oh, that's not really, you know, they try to do, uh, exegetical gymnastics and say that's that's homosexuality doesn't actually mean homosexuality no it really really does <laughs> and Paul made it really really clear 
Another text. Where can we go? We hit some already in Genesis, right? First Timothy one ten. First Timothy one ten. You can start with one nine. Yep. Go ahead. Read it for us. Um, now, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral men practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. There's a good one, too, because he, he lays that out. He says, whatever else yeah. is in contradiction to sound doctrine. Right. In other words, homosexuality is in clear contradiction to sound doctrine. Yep. Right? And it said specifically, but that other things can be included. In that. Yep, yep. Another good one. How many remember, what, well, what is, let me ask it this way, what does Jesus say about homosexuality? Because you'll hear people say that. Jesus said nothing about homosexuality. Is that true? No, he said uh, he affirmed the marriage between one man and one man. He did? Right. Where did he do that? In Matthew, I don't remember. <laughs> Matthew chapter 19. Where he tangles with the Pharisees. Verse 3, Pharisees came up to him, tested him. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them, so he's affirming biblical creation, from the beginning made them male and female. So Jesus, you can get a lot out of this. Jesus, Jesus is telling us right away that Genesis is legit, that creation was not an allegory, that it actually happened. And he's, he's quoting the word of God. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. No longer uh, what therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Jesus himself affirms the heterosexual nature from creation. Right. So anybody who especially says that Jesus doesn't mention homosexuality has not read Matthew 19. Crystal clear. Um, and really, you could throw in any other New Testament passage that talks about sexual immorality. Because the word there is porneia in the Greek. You could see where we get our word, pornography. Right? And you better believe that every person walking around in first century Greco-Roman culture knew that homosexuality was lumped into porneia. People will love to say, no, 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 no that doesn't mean that. We can go to the Old Testament, too. Yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. You go exactly. You go to the the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and you go to Leviticus 19. It's calling that porneia. Yeah. So it's. But they don't. They don't like. They like. Oh, it's the Old Testament. Jesus changed all that. Yeah. Yeah. You're an idiot. Very good. <laughs> We're going to talk about that next, as the next objection. I'm so. <laughs> Next objection is then, well, you Christians just pick and choose what parts of God's commands you want to follow. For example, you know, now eating shellfish is fine. You can go eat all the shrimp wrapped in bacon you want, but you're going to take an issue with homosexuality. So what happened to Leviticus? That's no longer in effect. You just decided that part because you like shrimp wrapped in bacon. And then you pick out this, right? Or, or gluttony is another one people will love to go to. I mean, you know, overweight Christians are walking around. What about them? Still sin. Still sin. So we've got to clarify then what the law of God is in redemptive history. 
right? The food laws were there for a specific reason for ethnic geographic Israel. The ceremonial laws were there for a very specific reason for ethnic geographic Israel, right? They have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, right? So that's why we can eat shrimp wrapped in bacon, praise God, <laughs> right? Well, and, and Jesus tells Peter that this is no longer, that's one of the very clear ones. Jesus says, this is not an effect anymore. After yeah. Peter has the vision of, uh, in Acts 10, 10. Yeah, with, yep. Blank and holy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's someone who doesn't, that's well, someone, if they say well. that, that's someone who doesn't understand what the law, that Jesus has fulfilled the law, right? The moral law is still in effect, and we read plenty of New Testament passages that talked about the moral law, right, and homosexuality. That's why we don't always do ourselves favors when we're going to go right to Leviticus 19 and talk about how homosexuality is an abomination. True, we'll get to that in a minute, right, right now, but, you know, it's going to kind of muddy the water a little bit. If you have somebody who's confused about the nature of the Old Testament to begin with, it's not always a good idea to take them to the Old Testament, right? But we also, maybe going back to the gluttony example, we can explain that sin varies in severity. Right? Gluttony is a sin, but it's not murder. Right? It's still a sin, and we still need to deal with it. Right? God calls homosexuality an abomination. Right? That means something. It still means something. Were you going to say something wrong? Yeah, I was just thinking that the grace part of it is also shown after one of those verses in a for lack of remember where it is, <coughs> but after he talks about the, the immoral. The problem with immorality, he actually follows up one of the verses by saying, as many of you once were, but you have been yeah. repented and you turned yes. around, which actually shows that we had people in the first century church who were believers who did struggle with this, who repented mm -hmm. and and came out and found grace through it. I yep. mean, it's really easy for the church oftentimes to get the stone and pick it up and feel the weight and enjoy the weight of the stone, but the truth of the matter is the grace of the gospels and the beauty of that those guys who did repent and found freedom in Christ after it and found their peace in their soul through the correct order. Yeah. So. Yeah. And we think about the Gentiles, the Romans that got saved, right? Where they had this class order where slaves, you can pull a slave off the street and have sex with them, whether they're a man or a woman. It's perfectly socially acceptable. But now you come into a worldview where God says that's not acceptable. So then it's totally a culture shift, right? So we do have to clarify that sins vary in severity. Homosexuality, God calls an abomination. I think he does so because it violates his created order. Right? And so, yeah, gluttony is a sin and needs to be dealt with. But let's remember severity, right? So we're not picking and choosing at will, at random, the biblical commands that we want to follow and those that we don't. Here's another one. You guys are on the wrong side of history. <laughs> doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't, because progress doesn't necessarily mean correctness. Just because culture is moving on doesn't mean culture is right. C.S. Lewis was a guy, he said, um, oh, how did he phrase it? Was something I'm going to get it wrong. I was like, uh, if you're going down the wrong road, then the one who turns around first is the most progressive. <laughs> I, like I love it. Yeah. 
What is maybe something, what is the big topic that somebody's going to pull out that's going to say this? What, what were Christians wrong on? Slavery. Slavery. That's probably going to be number one on their list, right? You Christians used to own slaves. You Christians used to justify it with the Bible. All them Southern Baptists down there owning their slaves and picking cotton on their plantations, right? So what? You guys were wrong. You're wrong on this one, too. What can we say about that? As the Christians who actually started the abolition movement. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring that into it. Uh, but yeah, that's right. They're, they're, the Christians were the ones that started the abolition movement. We don't have to defend the actions of individual people who aren't us. Yeah. Uh, we just look at what it says here. Yeah. Well, some people interpreted the Bible wrong. Yes. We're not those people, and we think that that's wrong. Let's move on. Yeah. That's the whole argument. Um, slavery is a clear biblical error. It's a clear biblical sin. And it was an, a, a stain on our country, right? And we got to own that, right? Every country. Yeah. Every country. It was not just us. Every civilization in the world had slaves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. During our uh, Giants of the Faith, we talked about John Newton. Mm -hmm. All those guys. Yeah. Oh, it still exists, definitely. So yeah, let's 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 call a spade a spade here. Right? Call sin sin. How about another objection? Take it up with my creator who made me this way. And a response. I don't think if you're standing before God, you can say that. I just don't. I don't you can try. That. But the real reason is no, He didn't. He did not. And a couple reasons. First, the original creation upholds biblical heterosexuality. Like we know what the original creation says. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Matthew 19. Jesus affirmed it. That's, that's a pretty airtight case, right? We already talked about that. So original creation says you're wrong, right? But second, original sin corrupted God's perfect creation, including our sexuality, right? So therefore, yes, there will be sinful desires, right? So third, therefore, homosexual desire is sinful and must be resisted like any other temptation. So no, he didn't make you that way. And, uh, you go to uh, any number of verses uh, talking about sexual immorality. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 very bluntly says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own. How about the one where the Bible, the Greek term for porneo doesn't mean homosexual yep. love, that it's mistranslated in our tra English translation? We'll get there a little bit in oh, the next okay. one. Hold that thought. Yep. Right. So we've got to separate that, right? And somebody said it before, but so therefore, by that argument, if somebody says, God made me this way, so therefore I have to be true to myself and act on that. Right? We were talking about it before. Killers. Okay, exactly. So God made me with an anger problem. I want to punch my neighbor in the face. Right? <laughs> I have to be true to myself. <laughs> God made me to be king of the earth. Right? God made me smart enough to steal from my Yeah. Nothing else works that way. And so we're just trying to rationalize sin. We've got to realize that. We have plenty of other sinful desires that we say no to. So we're just trying to find a way to make this acceptable. 
right? I understand. Now, this is not, right, this gets into the, uh, are people born this way? Are people not born this way? I, I don't know. I, ultimately, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. I went to a school with a kid who was gay from the time he walked into kindergarten. It just was different and turned out to, you know, so maybe, but I tell you, our society is doing no favors right now because it's just exponentially multiplying everything, right? Can I go back to the first statement? Yeah. Take it up with my creator. Yeah. So they're admitting, whoever's making the statement like that is already admitting this is creator. It could, yeah. Yeah, or he made like this is just the way that I am. You could say it in different, different ways, but yes, actually, this is from a conversation that I had with someone, and they did say. Well, that. Ron's point comes in at that point, where <coughs> you believe there's a god, and he says it's wrong. Well, you have to explain evolutionarily how that happened when it shouldn't happen evolutionarily because it doesn't work like that. Right. Saying that. They've been trying to um, continue this argument that it is a genetic thing. We were genetically to find born, the gay gene. Yeah, homosexual. Um, and like the, I think the, the most simple, straightforward litmus test for how false that is is that full biological twins almost never, ever. I, I don't know of a single example ever found where two twins are both gay. You get one brother only on gay. The other one almost never is. And yet they are genetically identical to each other. So yeah. how can you claim that it is in your genetics? Yeah, to be I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Ron. There's no evidence to substantiate that people are But let's assume for argument's sake there was. Then I could just as easily say that's the result of the fall creation. Yeah, absolutely. Many other abnormalities in the universe exactly. that don't disqualify people. We're born with propensities. We're born with sensitivities, right? James talks about that. Each one is lured away and enticed by his own desires, right? What's, what's sinfully tempting for one person is not necessarily sinfully tempting to another person, right? And that, that squares with biblical theology. But again, that doesn't mean you have to give into it, right? There, there are plenty of Christians that actually struggle with same-sex desires for whatever reason, right? But they don't necessarily have to give into those and act on those. They need to treat those like any other sinful desire. Can a acting homosexual be a Christian? <laughs> 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 Are, you story. Are you responding? Yes. <laughs> okay. Actually, I do. There is, in the Lutheran denomination in Pennsylvania, at their college, they have a professor who is uh, very studied, and uh, he entered the college telling the denomination that I am taking a vow of celibacy as coming into this college to get my, my orders. He said, I want you all to know I struggle with it, and I, and I have told God that it would be great if God helps me to get a change of my heart and my mind, and I pray for it all the time. Mm-hmm. And he said, but I recognize that the way that the Bible treats sin is I confess it, I want you all to know it, hold me accountable. I have every desire to study my theology and my word the best that I can. And I have no intention of having any relationship while I'm ever in, in mm-hmm. this church. And for 15 years plus, he's been serving in, in a capacity in which he doesn't have any relationships with, with anybody. Which, it's, it's interesting because his response is, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm confessing my sin. I don't know how I feel about the fact that he pursued religious orders. 
with with wanting to be over other people, especially as someone who has that kind of struggle. But what has been an interesting testimony is the amount of people that have come to him saying, I also um, now have someone struggle. say to, to confess my struggle with. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a real they, thing. they've all kind of joined us a support group along. So it's, it's interesting that there are people that are like that in the church. I mean, let's face it, the desires themselves are sinful. Right? We've got it just like any other sinful desire. Right? If I have a, a, if I lust after someone else that's not my wife, it's a sinful desire. Right? And we've got to confess and repent of that. It's the same thing. But to your question, Tony, can someone be a professing Christian and be gay? I'm going to say absolutely not. But why? Well, I don't think you can be there's no repentance. Yeah, no repentance, unrepentant sin. Yeah. Yeah. One of your favorite verses that you say all the time, right? yeah. Romans 6, right? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Yeah. Right? It's, so it's not the idea of, you know, well, everybody sins, and this is just my sin. Well, no, no, no. It's the idea of I'm walking in this. Like, I'm continuing to do this. Like, that doesn't square with anything else. I'm just an adulterer. That's my sin. And I'm going to keep adulterating. <laughs> no. No, no, no. That's nowhere in the New Testament That's at all. Repent, stop, change. Isn't right? that the evidence of the Holy Spirit also inside of you from your conversion? Is yeah. that those kind of things in your life that are those sins, that the Holy Spirit will burn inside of you until you can address it. But you can be a Christian, right, that struggles with same-sex desires. Right? And we need to confess and repent and grow and change through that. Yeah. You're invited to a homosexual wedding. Should we attend? Because if you attend a wedding, you're a witness. Being there, you're a witness, and you approve of the wedding. What's the biblical worldview of a wedding? I think you just answered your own question. But then, what about if it's your own child? But God will be qualified as a wedding, right? That's the rub here. Because our government can say, yes, that's a wedding, but God's very clear on what a marriage is. So I, I guess it depends on would you consider it a sin for yourself? So in other words, would you consider yourself sinning if you went? It's like eating the food offered to idols, yeah. I would say. Yeah, to some I, I, there might be a little wiggle room there. I, I usually counsel people no, they can't. Um, yeah. Because it's, well, it's a covenant. Yeah. And as a covenant, and I say that every time I officiate, officiate a wedding, I say to the people that there, you have a job. You, know, you are witnesses of this covenant. This is a public declaration. They're making this in front of their family, their friends, and God, right? So you have a role in this, just like an old covenant, right? You needed witnesses, so you're ratifying this. You're saying, well, yep. They're not always making it in front of God. You know? yeah. Well, that's, yeah. right, then I'm not doing the wedding, right? <laughs> right, you're not doing the wedding, but yeah. it could be that they're making it before God even if they don't know it. They're yeah. Because of God's standard. Yeah. Very true. Yep. Yeah. very true. So, yeah, so, yeah. I, I would, I would fall. No, I'm reading the whole thing. Run. Oh, sorry. I was to say the idea breaks down to that when you're at a wedding, you are applauding, you are yes. celebrating this yes. thing, which God has defined as an abomination. Yes. So how is that any different than like if someone was raped or murdered in the street and you stand there applauding? Like yeah. it's an abomination. Yes, our culture says this is a wonderful thing and it's just as good as any other wedding. That's 
Steve wanted me to ask if it's sinful to burn a pride flag. I'll take my answer off the air. <laughs> if it's not yours, yes. But if it's your flag, it's sinful to burn anything of your neighbor. Tina. We got a, we got a, another question. So how do you answer someone who is a Christian, devout Christian, who has been invited to a, um, a same-sex wedding, and they're, they, they're struggling with it, and their reason for going, I, they haven't gone yet, but their reason for going is that it's a it's a family issue there's a it will create mm -hmm. a lot of mm -hmm. angst in the family a lot of division so how, how do you address that get, get in the car get them in a car accident <laughs> no 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 i'm serious like create are you responding let's hear it so i think either if if someone has been quiet about their faith, and then a family member is coming to a point where they're, you know, getting ready for a gay or lesbian wedding, they should either be aware that you're a Christian, and this is your opportunity to stick to, stick to your guns, you know, use this as an opportunity to talk to them, and if they're going to be offended, then there's already an issue there. Mm -hmm. So it was going to come up one way or another. And if it's going to come up over something biblical where we have the Bible behind us, then that's better than it coming up over like, you know, you brought the potato salad, you know. Yes. And Lord willing, like if there's peace in a relationship, that might not even, in some cases, happen. Like my, I had, I have, a, I have a cousin who is. Married to a woman, she is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, my one sibling was invited, but my parents were not invited because my parents had articulated disagreement. But there was, there is no thought that my parents don't love their niece mm -hmm. because they were able to deal with that when she came out in her teenage years yeah. and articulated kindly and clearly. And it's just, oh, they believe something different. And if there's not an issue there, then there can be mutual respect on both sides, even though it's not necessarily like what we would want. We would want heart change and repentance of mm -hmm. sin. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to come to a point where there's like animosity. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's good. I would agree. Yeah. You're, you're asking, somebody's asking you to compromise on their beliefs. Mm -hmm. really. Yeah. You would. That's what I said. Yeah. I couldn't. Jay. I heard this today, and like I said, I, I was listening to something while I was driving, and I, and I wrote it down, so this is not mine at all, but it was about the question of what do we do in response, or, or even with pronouns or whatever is going on, but uh, Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, better is open rebuke than love that is concealed, and faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy, as far as... Sometimes it's better to stand your ground to be, you know, to, to be up. true to your and true to them, yeah. Than to pretend like you, everything's okay. Yeah, you could actually that's that's you got to find that common ground, right? You're being true to yourself, right? <clears throat> in marrying 
who you believe you're marrying, I have to be true to myself yeah, and, in my yeah. biblical convictions. So if I just right? sit here and lie here or pretend like it's, you know, then I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm, out, I'm not only just hurting myself or going against what I believe, it's also of no help to you because I'm giving you false beliefs that I actually support yeah. this. We are, we are in the place we're in in a lot of this uh, because we haven't stood strongly enough on some of these things. And so... And it's going to get more and more pronounced, right? As the world gets darker and darker, it's going to it's going to allow us to shine brighter and brighter. And we're not going to have to try really hard to shine brighter because the world's going to get really dark around us, and we're just going to have to make it clear where we are, right? It's one of the things with the church. So, yeah, good questions. I like that. Let's run through one more, and then uh, we'll do some summary thoughts. <coughs> And, uh, another objection, the last one I thought of, but there are many more. The New Testament wasn't talking about modern, committed, monogamous, homosexual relationships. The New Testament was talking about, you know, the Roman soldiers that would uh, adopt a boy slave, you know, that kind of gross stuff. He's not talking about a modern, committed, homosexual, like you were saying, Ken. It's that, that doesn't mean, that word doesn't mean what it is now. You know? Well, that's still not the vast majority, I'm sorry. The vast majority of homosexual relationships are not the committed monogamous. Oh, no, they're not. I'm sorry, so that's yeah. not. Well, we can go into the average problem. numbers of partners and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, sure, they have, there are people that have been married a long time, but I think that if you were to compare the numbers, yeah, very, very, right? But Paul, we were just in Romans 1, Paul didn't ground his argument anywhere else but nature. He's like, no, this is against nature. Has nothing to do with how you're going to define what a cultural monogamous whatever relationship versus a slave boy relationship. That has nothing to do with that. It wasn't Paul's argument. Paul's argument was it was against creation. It was against nature, and that brings us to natural law. Homosexuality is against natural law. Um, is this the right book? This is the book I'm giving away tonight, by the way. Carl Truman's Strange New World. How thinkers and activists redefined identity and sparked the sexual revolution. Very, very good book. But he talks about that. Natural law. Anybody know what natural law means? Well, I put the answer there. Dang it. Put simply, it's the idea that the world in which we live is not simply morally indifferent, it should be stuff, but possesses in itself a moral structure. There's actual a moral structure in the creation of the world, and we see that in things like the way that we are made. Right? Uh, Truman writes this, all of us can understand this is what we might call a technical, technical, morally neutral way. I cannot climb up to the Empire State Building and jump off the top expecting to flourish. I'm not made to fly. My bodily constitution places restrictions on what I can and can't do. Natural law is the extension of this idea into the realm of morals. And when it comes down to the central concerns of this book, Sex and Identity, the idea of natural law is of obvious help. Without wishing to be too explicit, male and female bodies are made to fit together in certain ways and not in others. Men's bodies are simply not made to fit sexually with other men's bodies. Almost everyone is born with a body that types them at birth as male or female, and for good reason. Those bodies have different capacities to perform certain functions. In each case, we can say that nature, or natural law, points to the boundaries of what is and is not behavior that will lead to human beings' true flourishing. So 
So we look right at what how we're made, the constitution of how we're made biology, right? <clears throat> so that's, we talk about that. Paul wasn't talking about the definition of a relationship. He was talking about creation and what creation screams at us for how we're supposed to use our bodies. Right? Sue. And all the hormonal therapy and surgeries and so on and so on and so forth don't change your genetics. No. Mm -hmm. You're either a male or a female genetically. Yeah. So a couple summary thoughts as we land the plane here. A couple things to remember. Three things to remember. Remember community. And somebody hit on this earlier, right? Is the supreme goal of life really human flourishing through expressive individualism, like Jason was saying? If it's just me trying to look out for me, that doesn't do any, that doesn't do the society any good, right? It's not what our country was founded on, for crying out loud, right? That's not what we're wired for as human beings. We're wired for community. We're wired for self-sacrifice. We're wired for the common good. Right? The concept of corporate solidarity. Right? It's not just us. We know that. So we have to remember community in this. So just because our bodies and our brains tell us one thing, that it's just about us, that's sinful too. It's not about us. How many one another's are in the Bible? Right? Yeah. Number two, remember grace. We show others the grace that God showed us when we were sinners. We can disagree with others' ideas and still respect them. It doesn't mean we don't acknowledge their existence. We've got to work hard for that. Right? Because let's face it, it's offensive. It is a really offensive sin. And it's really in your face. And so it's really hard for us because we have this visceral reaction. Right? But we've got, to, we've got to remember, okay, it's still sin. I was a sinner. They're a sinner. I've got to, I've got to show that grace. I struggle with that at work because I work in an environment that I did a lot of with these people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it is my job. And it comes yeah. opening and you say, I'm a she, when I know it's a she. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's tough too, right? Mm -hmm. To use the pronouns. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> Lastly, remember regeneration, right? The gospel is never just stop sinning, right? Those idiots down in Westboro with their tickets and they're you know <laughs> come on now. like you're just not telling them to stop sinning that's not the gospel we can't do that <laughs> jesus didn't die on the cross to just say stop sinning clean up your act right we can't do that that's why we need regeneration it's not just stop sinning clean yourself up it's come to jesus and he will transform your whole life he will give you a new life and we've got to own it that the church has messed up on this big time we really have. We've dug our own deep rut in this. And so, yeah, it is offensive, but we've got to remember, like, the answer is not just stop being gay, right? The answer is Jesus and a life that's brand right? Thoughts, comments, questions, encouraging remarks. Don't forget my book. <clears throat> Ronald. So, are we going to get a litter box in the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to. No, but I'll walk you after service. <laughs> 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 Just clean up after him, will you, Jason? <laughs>
This is a great book by a wonderful man, Dr. Carl Truman. Uh, and he goes through kind of a little bit of the history of how we got here, a little bit of the classic history of how we got here and where we are, and um, really kind of pulls back the curtains on a lot of this. It is, a, it is a very accessible book. It is the smaller version of this, of this larger book. They're, they're even colored the same. But this is, this is a good read. This is a really good read. So if anybody wants a little bit deeper of an intellectual read, but still very accessible about the sexual revolution, for the first person who raises their hand, Dr. Truman J. Come on. All right. And if anybody wants a big book, I have an extra copy of the other one. You want it? It's good stuff. Carl Truman is a brainiac. Good guy. Okay, well, let me pray for us, and then I'll answer all my emails from YouTube and Facebook telling us. <laughs> God, I do thank you so much for uh, these people. Uh, thank you for the reality of how we're trying to confront uh, what's going on in society around us, and, or even our own town. Uh, we have churches that say that this is okay. We know that's not true from your word. We know that's not true from creation, just looking at nature. And so, Lord, help us to balance this. May we be biblical. May we also be balanced. May we be able to respond with kindness and grace, but also not compromise on biblical truth. Lord, help us to stand firm, clinging to the word of life in this twisted and crooked generation. And may you bring many people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and transform their lives. And we pray it in his name. Amen. 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 All righty.